Hi, everyone. Welcome to OIV ALA. This is Josh Gertler here with my co-host, Chris Joseph, back for another episode of OIV ALA. Our guest today is John Rigardi, uh, one of our regular guests. Happy to have you back, John. John, for those who don't know, writes about politics and other happenings in the city of Los Angeles for both Los Angeles Magazine and the website Crosstown LA. Welcome, John. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Chris. Welcome. So let's kick it off. Um, it's been kind of a uh, interesting season in Los Angeles politics. That seems to be this, uh, a kind of a recurring theme, not just of this podcast, but some of the chaos that is uh, floating above City Hall. Since we last convened and and on this podcast, there have been there's been yet another indictment of a sitting member of the Los Angeles City Council, um, Curran Price, who was the president pro tem, uh, the number two spot on the City Council, was indicted by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. And John, why don't you sort of set the table and tell us a little bit about what happened, and then we'll get into. Uh, some of that, that those details. Well, yeah, I mean, this was uh, another case of, oops, they did it again. Um, as we know, uh, Curran Price was charged with uh, 10 counts, um, perjury, conflict of interest, and embezzlement. Um, and he did become the fourth member of the city council in four years to face charges. If you want to uh, get the joke, it's like, oh, wow, we got enough for Mount Rushmore now. Um, there we go. Um, but this is actually very uh, interesting. And the, I guess the first thing that I would say is, you know, this broke June 13th, and immediately everyone had that reaction, which I just referenced. Oh my gosh, not again. You know, what's going on? How is Los Angeles more corrupt than Chicago? But if we flash forward a couple weeks later, something really, really interesting has happened. And I think the narrative has changed a little bit. Um, unlike in previous cases, most recently with Mark Ridley Thomas a couple years ago, a current price was not quickly suspended. In fact, the council um, responding to an outcry from the from some members of the public started to say, let's actually slow the roll a little bit. Let's look at what the charges are here. And these, you know, generally, you know, involve accusations, you know, charges from the district attorney that, uh, you know, that money that his wife had earned through her consulting company, that some of that was not reported on his um, financial disclosure forms, um, and that he had voted on some of the projects. One of the reactions that you ended up hearing, you know, and this was said by Marquise Harris Dawson, the council member, is like, you know, I've heard of ethics commission violations, fines for this, but is this really what someone should go to prison for? So I, you know, and that again has really slowed everything down. We get to the point a couple of weeks ago, the council rules committee has a meeting, they're taking up current prices suspension, and they end up saying, we're not going to suspend him. We're going to come back in two months, literally two months when we have our meeting in August and take it up then. So we haven't seen this before it's really an interesting evolution in how the city has responded to these matters. It's interesting. Could I just jump in real quick? It's an interesting quote. You know, it's hard to know what the Times uses in quotes and what they don't use, but he was quoted in the Times. Let me find it here. I think the day of the indictment, quote, while I navigate through the judicial system to defend my name against unwarranted charges filed against me, the last thing... I want to do is be a distraction to people's business. Uh, he actually wrote that in a letter to, to Paul Krikorian. 
And I found the unwarranted charges language really interesting. He didn't say, he didn't say he didn't do it. He's saying, you shouldn't have charged me for this. And that's, a, I think, an important distinction. Ab absolutely. And you know, look, I've spoken with plenty of people about this, been writing on this. There is, seems to be an acceptance that Curran made some goofs. You know, financial disclosure forms are there for a reason. They matter. It appears, again, appears, you have to go through the whole process. It appears that, you know, something was done wrong, you know, in that manner. There are some really odd stuff about, uh, you know, the woman who became his wife, Del Richardson, who he was with for a long time, about uh, her getting medical benefits from the city, even before they were technically married, even though everyone thought of them as a couple, but if you're not married, you can't do that. So, you know, are again, are there mistakes? Sure. But again, it goes back to that question of, are these the kind of mistakes that you tear down someone's decades long political career for? Are these the kind of mistakes that you would send someone to prison for? So I think you read it right on, Josh, that, uh, I'm sorry, Chris, that, um, yeah, that word unwarranted was probably very intentional. And we also can't ignore the timing of all of this as well. It's very, it's, you know, th there's a lot of strangeness in the air. Yeah, the reaction from the city um, council the committee that you mentioned and the kicking the can down the road for 60 days, I, I wonder if that's a reflection of the the perceived lack of severity as, as you've just mentioned, um, or whether it's really a, 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 a ricochet of that which um, was uh, done with Mark Ridley Thomas, where his constituents were left um, underrepresented or unrepresented for quite some time. And the optics or bad optics, shall we say, of, of a very underserved community being without representation on the city council. I suspect it's a little bit of both, but just wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah. Is it A or B? I would say the answer is yes. And I would actually even take it further because what we've got to remember is, you know, and again, if you go back to Mark Ridley Thomas, that was a situation where when he was indicted, he immediately offered to step back. Nuri Martinez, the council president at the time, she was the one who strong-armed the suspension. And we've all seen what's happened to Nuri and who she ended up being. But tied in with all that, after he was suspended, you know, there were real, he, he later waged um, a legal challenge arguing that due process, he had not had a chance to defend himself. And what happened? Ultimately, the city realized it was not going to win. They gave him his back pay. So there's a whole, again, there's a whole big issue and a learning curve and the understanding of due process. So the elements that you mentioned there, Josh, I think absolutely those were part of it. But I think this was, uh, you know, as well. So look, is the city, you know, is the city doing better now than it was on these matters? Sure. And again, we have to look at the big elements. What current price is accused of is different than what Jose Wizar was approved that was accused of. That's sort of the poster child for when things go wrong, they really go nine miles wrong. Um, so you know, there are degrees of difference. And again, so it does come back to that whole thing of. Well, are we as corrupt as people may seem? We're certainly not squeaky clean, but maybe we're not as bad as Chicago. Maybe we are. I don't know. 
It's hard to know. I wonder if, because he's being charged with perjury as well. And I wonder if that was the thing that really sent the district attorney like, hey, come on, we've got you here. Don't lie about it. Don't make this worse. Yeah, no. And look, the, you know, George Gascon has been in politics for a while. People I've spoken with said that he is not going to come after a sitting council member, one of the most powerful people in Los Angeles, unless he's pretty sure that he can get a W if this thing goes to trial. Um, so he's got to be, he and his team have got to be pretty confident about winning should it come down to that. Um, but still, it does, you know, again, we do, everyone is acknowledging that there is a great gradation of difference between what current price has been, uh, you know, charged with and what uh, others before him were charged with. This cloud over City Hall um, sort of speaks to several things. One is the, the the urgency and need for reform, be it redistricting, be it ex expanding the council districts from 15, each representing about 260,000 people. Uh, it speaks to the, the urgency uh, of having uh, young people aspire to public service. Um, and it, and then, of course, the 800-pound gorilla is land use and development. Seems to be a common theme in all of them, except the current prices situation. Well, actually, not not it is. It's in his situation as well. I wonder if John, if you could sort of weave those pieces together and talk a little bit about the, how the, this cloud hanging over City Hall um, might might clear and how those pieces might emerge from the 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 shade. Absolutely, Josh. And, you know, you've come upon one of my, uh, you know, incredible, incredibly nerdy favorite things to delve into, um, you know, which is, you know, governance reform. And sorry if I just lost half your listeners with that phrase or put the other half to sleep. Um, no, in all seriousness, uh, you know, look, yeah, as we all know, and what the Nuri Martinez uh, experience revealed was the problems with the independent, was with the redistricting reform. Every 10 years, we have to redraw the city council boundaries. It was no secret that these this was terrible beforehand. I wrote an editorial back in 2011 when I was with the downtown news called the redistricting process stinks um, and calling for major reforms. I wasn't the only one. Plenty of other people saw problems, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and as we all know, we ended up with just a lot of the same issues. This time, it's not an independent process. The council members have had a hand in it, have been able to influence it. Um, that's not how you do things. Plenty of other ad entities or, you know, arms of government throughout the state have already have an independent process, including Los Angeles County. But now we are in this really interesting phase where people are seriously talking about governance reform, which involves, as you referenced, not just actually getting an independent redistricting process, but potentially growing the size of the city council. Um, I'll take your 260,000 constituents comment a bit further because I'm the kind of nerd who literally look, was looking at US census data and realized, oh my gosh, any single Los Angeles city council district would be the 85th biggest council district in the United, I'm sorry, the 85th biggest city in the United States. All 15 council districts on their own would rank in the top 100 cities in terms of population. All of those cities, they have mayors and council members. Here we have one de facto queen or king of each district, which brings you know outsized power. And as you correctly referenced, and as both of you know, 
you know, when they particularly have so much influence over land use and zoning and what projects, um, you know, are approved in those areas, um, it raises the potential for problems. It doesn't mean that they're all problematic, but it raises the potential for problems. So we've got this situation now where there are movements afoot to definitely Take make the make the redistricting process independent, and the discussion as well is: should we be increasing the size of the city council? Um, there's proposal, you know. There's discussions. Maybe it should be 17. Maybe it should be 21. Maybe it should be 25. You have the council itself talking about it recently. You had a panel of academics propose a 25 member council uh, with 21 geographic and four at large seats. Um, we're going to have you know, hopefully a serious conversation in the city about what to do and how this uh, happens. Uh, but I'm just going to point out one thing real quickly. I was at a luncheon today where Katie Yaroslavsky, one of the new council members, um, was there. And she said, you know, you know, and, and she wasn't poo-pooing growing the council, but she did say what matters is not <clears throat> necessarily how many people you have, but having the right people and electing the right people. Chicago may have a lot more people, but does that mean there's no corruption in Chicago? No, it doesn't. So the onus becomes on us. So sorry, that was a really long-winded answer there, um, but I stopped myself. Right, it's not, how, not, it's not necessarily how many we elect, it's how they get elected and what happens after they get elected because there's still the influence of money and I don't know, I, I'm not familiar with what's going on in this governance examination. If anything, if anyone is talking about public financing of campaigns, for example, is that on the table? Um, I've not seen it being heavily discussed. You know, it, it's mentioned every so often, but it doesn't seem to be as deep, you know, getting as much air as some of the other issues. Uh, you know, the three main things being discussed, or as we referenced, independent redistricting, expansion of the council size, and overall ethics reform, including giving more power to the city ethics commission. That was one of the things that the academic panels, um, you know, did propose. It, it does pose the question about the future, um, not just the future composition and structure of the governance of the city of Los Angeles, but but there's a new generation that is coming up that I hopefully will continue to aspire for public service. And whether you look east to Washington, D.C., or you look in our backyard here in Los Angeles, how do you think that which we've been discussing for the last 10 minutes is going to shape the future generation of of people who aspire to public service you think there's it's it's going to kickstart the um a, a next generation to jump in and say i want to serve or do you think it's scaring people off to say i'd rather go you know make money in the private sector you know, I'm actually going to say that, you know, if we step back, I think that that's actually already happening, that that's already underway. If we look at, you know, sort of the past paths to city council and what's happened in the most re in the past few years, things have been markedly different for a long time. As we all know, there was a dismissive reference to Los Angeles City Council was Sacramento South 
one of the best ways to get there was you either work specifically for a council member, you're the deputy and you go up, or you've served in the assembly or the Senate. You've got a political base, you've got donors. And then when a council member finishes their term and leaves, then you go and fill that post. In the past several years, we've seen brand new people with no experience, with not with no sitting, you know, city hall or Sacramento experience being elected, coming in as outsiders. Whatever your whatever your view on their on your politics and how progressive you may or may not be, there were people who took advantage of this. And we have to also note that it came when the city did shift its election dates to even numbered years, which vastly increased uh, the number of people who participate. In some districts, we went from ten or fifteen percent to fifty or six fifty or sixty percent. I refer, you know, um, you had Nithya Raman, uh, you know, back in twenty twenty, she upset a city, a sitting city council member, first time in eighteen years that had happened. She had never been in elected office or worked for a politician before. In the most recent elections, uh, CD, CD1, Unices Hernandez um, had worked in the community and never run for office before. She knocked out Gil Cedillo. CD13, Hugo Soto Martinez knocked out two-term incumbent uh, Mitch O'Farrell. So we do, I think, actually, Josh, already have this situation where the next generation is already coming, moving in. And then, of course, the most you know, notable uh, you know, arrival was probably uh, city controller Kenneth Mejia uh, beating Paul Koretz. Um, so again, this had, you know, all of these all these individuals, you know, they all lean towards the left, the progressive side. And that certainly says something about who's electing them and where they're coming from. But I do think that actually this younger generation, this different generation is already recognizing that there is this opportunity, there, there is this desire. And Los Angeles actually, what do you know, did something right by moving elections to even numbered years, which did create a better path for more people and not just the traditional ship of fools or whatever you want to call it to uh, be there. Right. I think you saw the, the voter apathy return in the in the race to, that just took place three days ago to replace Mary Martinez. I mean, the vote was really, really low, right? What, what you, you think you think 12% is low? <laughs> <laughs> it's this... crazy, right? This is why we, this is why whenever possible we should not have special elections. Look, I get it. I know we need it, but every so often you start seeing people say, "Let's have a special election." Special it's really hard to get people to the polls. What's the best way to get people to the polls in a council district? Have it be when there's a larger race happening such as the mayoral election, or the gubernatorial election, the presidential election. Uh, you know, folks like us nerd out um but you know here in this you know sixth district race you had uh, you know, Marissa Alcarez running against Imelda Padilla. Uh, both of them were very similar, trying to, you know, fill out the term of Nuri Martinez. Um, yeah, so we ended up with, unfortunately, you know, low turnout. But if there's a bright side, uh, you know, Imelda Padilla, who looks like the likely winner, she's got to run for the seat again in uh, March in the regularly scheduled election. So turnout will probably be higher then. I guess one last thing from my end is that the the scorecard still doesn't look good between three city council members convicted, one now indicted, three other council members caught making racist comments. I mean, that's seven. That's out of 15. That's nothing to be proud of. 
Absolutely. Um, and yeah, they, they, you, know, for, you know, for all my flippancy, uh, you know, beforehand, yeah, you, you are 100% right. And that's partially what has led to this crisis of the moment. Um, <clears throat> because even if there's modicums and degrees of culpability, it does reflect on the city and it does make people, you know, really question their trust in government. Um, you know, it, you can understand why people who just casually watch, you know, local politics are like, again, is anyone in the building honest? Of course, plenty of people in the building are honest. I actually happen to think in general, most politicians, most politicians are, but, you know, the ones who abuse the public trust pose a rough situation for everyone. And yeah, uh, you know, at, this is uh yeah it it is a bad mark for the city for sure los angeles has a long history of resilience um and whether you look at in, in the, the earthquake the rodney king events today's event is homelessness and there's a, a cascade of news articles and reporting about people contemplating moving out of Los Angeles, moving out of California, cost of living, homelessness being the biggest I issue by far. Um, the last time we got together, we talked about the mayoral race. We're now uh, at a, a more than a couple hundred days, I think, into, into Mayor Karen Bass's term. And hours ago, the LA Times released an article um, about the new homeless count. And uh, the headline says, homelessness continues to soar, jumping 9% in Los Angeles County and 10% in the city of Los Angeles. How is the mayor doing swimming against the current? And what, what, uh, what can average Angelinos do to put an oar in the water and help um, make the city a better place. You know, that's uh, I'll, I'll try. I'll try to go less than two and a half hours um, <laughs> on, this, on, on this answer. Um, you know, could read War and Peace in the uh, midst. Um, again, joking this aside, a, a couple important things um, to mention here. And yes, the the numbers on homelessness are shocking. We're talking over seventy five thousand unhoused people in the county of Los Angeles. It's it, it, you know, I hate to use the cliche, but it's a mind-boggling number. Um uh, you know, at, at the same time, you know, we all live in this region. Are any of us surprised that the numbers increased in the last year to this degree? Sadly, no, we've seen the situations on the streets. We know what's happening. Now, if you want to look for the glass half full or the silver lining or whatever you want to call it, it's that this count was what they call a point in time count. And the count took place in January. Aaron Bass had been mayor for all of three weeks at that point. Uh, she's not had time to institute strategies yet. Um, you know, she has been very, you know, vocal in terms of talking about her inside safe program to clear tent encampments. Um, you know, we all have heard the, you know, cliche, you know, lock arms and, you know, it's a cliche and it's a buzzword, but I give the mayor a lot of credit. I think she's done 
a lot of things right in the past six months. Uh, I mean, you all understand the problems of building housing. One of the first things she did was try to speed up the approvals process for affordable housing. Now, you, you probably know better than me, but you know the mayor now claims that approvals for some affordable housing projects that used to take uh, six months, the average is now 37 days. Um, you know, she's focused on that. She is, uh, fo you know, you know, she's done, you know, has done things such as, you know, looking for sites that could be developed for, uh, you know, permanent housing and temporary housing, um, doing things such as, you know, looking at getting master leases for hotels uh, and motels, um, you know, to overall create the housing stock. So the ultimate point with that is whatever work she's done um, that does not yet impact where these numbers are. So what we're really going to need to say, unfortunately, is, well, let's see where we are a year from today with, with those numbers. Um, but I'm going to just step back from that for a moment and say what I think she's done most importantly and most effectively is she has shown a legitimate urgency to addressing this issue. In the last year, year and a half of Mayor Eric Garcetti's tenure, a lot of people thought he was coasting. A lot of people were very dismissive. A lot of people felt that this humanitarian and moral crisis was not getting the attention it deserved. And that's why we saw this as the top issue between Karen Bass and Rick Caruso. Um, since she's come in, I think she has shown to everyone that she is taking this matter very seriously. And I legitimately think, and I've written this in, in some of my stories, that she has changed the conversation over how we're approaching it. Now, again, does this mean that we have long-term success? It is impossible to tell. We are so much closer to the starting line than running through the finish tape. It took Los Angeles decades to screw up this situation so badly that we have those 75,000 homeless individuals. It would be ridiculous to expect that a sizable dent would have been made now. But I do think the right things are happening and the right conversations are happening, um, which is something that we haven't seen in a while. First of all, I want to agree with you. I, I was not a, a huge Bass supporter when she was running for office. I do think she's doing the best she can. And I do think she's really trying and trying to make a difference. So I do give her a lot of credit. To step back from that, I think this is a national problem. I mean, I'm in Portland as we're recording this. Portland has a problem. Seattle, San Francisco, New York, all pretty much all the major cities are experiencing rampant homelessness. The national problem, and when you travel to other industrialized countries in Europe and Asia, you realize this is a uniquely American problem that, that we are experiencing. And until we decide that we're gonna pay more in taxes and take care of our own better, I'm not so sure we're gonna make a huge dent in it nationally. Yeah, and, you know, and, and there's a lot of other elements. I mean, we cannot, Sometimes it gets, you know, a bit glossed over, but we have to be, there has to be seriousness and uniformity, uh, you know, and conviction and purpose in terms of how we will deal with, you know, the unfortunate individuals who are suffering from severe mental illness, uh, you know, or drug addiction. Um, it may require conversations and actions that some people would rather not see. Uh, look, there's going to be a lot of solutions 
that may not be pretty. Um, and there's going to be the requirements of a lot of people working on this who had not worked on this before. I mean, your reference to, you know, the need for federal involvement, you know, is, is huge. We, you know, the feds need to get involved. The state needs to get involved. The public sector, the private sector, the nonprofit sector. Um, look, I hate to be part of a cliche, but, you know, across the board, you're going to need massive buy-in if you're going to have the situation because yeah, you're, you are absolutely right, Chris. We don't see this situation you know, in certain other countries. One of the things that Mayor Bass has done that I have taken no, considerable note of and applaud especially is the preventative portion of this equation. The The instinct is to focus on that, which is, is um, tangible and in your front yard, your neighborhood. But there's a very real compelling story to be told about the work that she and her administration are doing to prevent people from slipping off that cliff. And that's, that is illustrative in today's news that we've housed a lot of people in the short time that she's been leading our city, but the number of people that have fallen into homelessness eclipses that number by a certain, by, by a lot. Can you, yeah. Do you have any visibility into what she's doing and, and any thoughts on that you'd like to share? You know, I, I, you know, I was in uh, her office, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, she did, you know, right at around six months, she had a, uh, you know, presentation and discussion, you know, you know detailing, you know, where they were, uh, in, you know, in homelessness. And she touched on that very specific point, the need to prevent people from falling into homelessness in the first place, because yeah, it's, you know, the, once someone gets out on the street, it can be hard or at a shelter, it can be very hard to get them back into housing. So they reference, you know, she referenced, you know, try, you know, doing whatever they can, you know, to, you know, to prevent that, you know, such as, you know, looking at, Hey, who were some of the people who needed, public assistance during the pandemic. Those are the people who might be particularly vulnerable to becoming homeless. What can the city do proactively to go to those individuals and make sure that they, you know, don't miss that paycheck that, you know, ma makes them wind up, uh, you know, on the streets. Uh, you know, a few years ago, there was a big effort, uh, you know, out of UCLA and working with the county to try to identify people who were at risk of becoming uh, homeless and the you know and you know and dedic you know and the thesis of that study and report was you know if you could find those people and just you know be sure that they have it can be as little as you know several hundred or a few thousand dollars uh, you know to help them pay some of the basic bills uh, if they're a little bit behind on rent so uh, look obviously it's a really complex issue. You can look at someone on the street and unfortunately, you know, okay, unfortunately that's a person experiencing homelessness. It's a lot harder to look at someone in housing and say, oh, I, that person looks like that. You know, you can't say that obviously. So um, it is though absolutely something that the mayor and others have recognized, which is another crucial aspect, you know, of this whole messy puzzle that uh, people are trying to, to solve. It's a multifaceted problem. I mean, it's lack of housing, it's lack of good jobs, it's drug addiction, sometimes legal drug addiction. Uh, I look at opioids, um, what's going on with that and the devastation that's been caused by legal drugs. Mm -hmm. 
we're over medicated in this country. I think we consume like 25% of the world's prescription drugs and we're about 7% of the world's population. So we're used to being medicated, um, but I don't think it's giving us good outcomes. No, no, for sure. It's, you know, and it's, it's all that. And, and it's so many more. I mean, you're absolutely right on that, but you know, look, let's also be honest. I referenced before that it took, you know, the city decades to get in this situation. We didn't build housing at the rate we needed to. We had council members who effectively ignored the crisis because homelessness for so long was confined was confined either in Skid Row in downtown or parts of Hollywood or parts of Venice. So council members were like, we don't even have to think about this issue. It's not in our backyard. So all of those many, many issues, you know, got us to got us to where we are today. And again, we finally have the urgency. Um, you know, we have the city and the county working together again. Credit to, uh, you know, Mayor Bass for you know getting that going. Um, you know, and reaching out to, you know, trying to get money flowing in from, you know, D.C. and uh, Sacramento. So you know, but again, you know, this is still the beginning, you know, of the crisis. And hey. We still got to deal with the rest of the problems in the city. I have, John, I have one more question about homelessness, and then we can pivot to the, the, the next subject. One of the hallmarks of Mayor Bass's plan is to um, uh, collaborate more with the county. The, the, the county and the city historically on the issue of homelessness have sort of retreated to their own worlds and collaborated very little. And she's I think knocks some heads together and is uh, is um, demanding, and we're seeing the collaboration and the the benefits from that. One other piece of this puzzle, which is a very large piece, is LA Metro and our transit system. She's of course uh, on the board, has uh, three other appointees to the board, but Metro is this other piece of this puzzle where, by by default, a lot of people experiencing homelessness use the 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 shelter that is um part of our transit system how have you have you seen mayor bass bringing metro into this equation um as part of this larger collaborative uh work between county city and, and metro as a county agency and what's happening there because it seems that the news of about metro safety is eclipsing everything else about the excitement of opening up the regional connector a couple of weeks ago. What are your thoughts on that? Ab absolutely. Um, and, you know, and look, she recognizes it. Every Metro board member recognizes it. Metro CEO, Stephanie Wiggins recognizes it. Uh, you know, I, you know, hate to, you know, say, you know, uh, Everyone recognizes that, you know, the situation that you're talking about and the need for Metro to respond to it. Um, but again, it's so complicated by so, ma so many components. I mean, Metro's job is to move people about the region. Metro's raison d'etre is not to, uh, you know, deal with the unhoused and people who are thus taking shelter. And as we've seen, unfortunately, some who may be mentally ill or may have, you know, other um, you know, serious medical illnesses. I mean, I, I think we're over, uh, you know, I think more than 20 people, you know, I know for a fact, more than 20 people have already died on Metro this year. 
a high number of them, uh, you know, from overdoses. Um, and it's having the, you know, the impact that you reference people, you know, Metro ridership, which went way down in the pandemic has not rebounded uh, close to where it was. But this is also happening in other cities, by the way. I mean, I was just listening today and apparently the BART system, um, you know, in the Bay Area also way down. So again, as you, re as was referenced beforehand, these are issues being seen on LA's transit system, on transit systems across the country. Um, again, people are taking it seriously. Um, you know, Mayor Bass and the Metro Board, which includes several, you know, council members, as you referenced her appointees, uh, you know, they're all doing their best. But again, it's going to be, you know, a long time and a long discussion. And unfortunately, we don't snap fingers and make this better and get everyone back on because I think we all know that there are people we know who used to use Metro who will not ride Metro right now because they feel it's unsafe. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm probably doing a little too much editorializing on this episode, but as a transit rider, um, it, is, it has become more unsafe. It has. I mean, the data shows that my own personal experience sees that. Um, I rarely used to get nervous. And it's not like I get nervous a lot, but it, you keep your eyes open. You have to watch what you're doing. We pivot to the final subject of today's podcast and talk about some of the musical chairs that are happening in uh, California politics and Los Angeles politics in particular. There's a lot of, of um, uh, uh, folks moving up, moving out uh, from the highest levels of government at the United States Senate. Uh, There's a competitive race for Dianne Feinstein's seat all the way down to um, LA City Council, uh, Kevin DeLeon's seat, and um, some, some in the assembly. You want to uh, tell us a little bit, John, about kind of what your thoughts on how all those pieces are falling into place and, and what Angelinos can, um, what we should be paying attention to? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's musical chairs, it's trying to climb the ladder, it's, uh, you know, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of people looking for a lot of next jobs, um, at, you know, which makes covering races really fascinating for me because things get really exciting. Um, obviously, with, uh, you know, Adam Schiff running for, uh, Senate, you know, running for the uh, U.S. Senate seat, that's opened up, uh, you know, his congressional seat. I mean, that race is already boom. I mean, you've got former city attorney Mike Fuhrer running for that. You've got Assembly Member Lauren Friedman running for that. You've got school board member uh, Nick Melvoin running for that. Uh, I know a lot of different people who like all three of those, and I'm pretty sure only one can win, which means two of them will not. Um, and they're also not going to have, um, so, so, so you have that. Um, you know, we've already referenced some of the uh, council races, you know, in the 10th district, you have Assemblyman Reggie uh, Jones-Sawyer, who is going to challenge Heather Hutt, uh, you know, for her seat. Over in the 14th district, you have Kevin DeLeon, who obviously 
um, you know, it has been controversial for being heard on on some of the, you know, for being heard on those tapes. Um, he's not yet announced if he is running for another term, but he already has not one but two assembly members challenging him for his seat, uh, Wendy Carrillo and Miguel Santiago. Um, and if you actually look, uh, former city council member Nick Pacheco is also uh, mm. declared for that. So you have four people who have held elected office. And I'm still pretty sure in that one that only one person gets the race too, gets the seat too. So you're going to have, you know, three different uh, people who will not win in that. And a couple of them may be giving up, uh, you know, assembly seats to run for something else. So, um, you know, look, death, taxes, and someone's going to look for the next uh, political chair up in Los Angeles. Those are certainties. Um, well, actually, and the Clippers will find a way to get injured and screw up as well. So maybe that's a maybe that's a fourth one. Um, but those are some of the things that we can rely on. And heck, all of them are fascinating for me, even the Clippers. So who's going to be our next U.S. senator? Yeah, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um you know, uh, you certainly have to, um, you know, think that the war chest that uh, Adam Schiff and Katie Porter have probably give them an advantage over Barbara Lee at this point. Um, but we've been surprised plenty of times. And, you know, look, also one of the silliest things that we do that I do all the time is try to start coming up with winners 19 months before the before the final election. Well, uh, you know, we have the whole situation where, you know, because California does what it does, we now have a primary in March. And then we sit down for eight months and don't have the next election until, uh, you know, the general election in November. Uh, and look, as we figured out beforehand, a primary is a completely different contest than a general election. And what happens in one race might prefigure what's going to happen in the other, uh, but it doesn't necessarily. We've seen plenty of surprises, plenty of times. So, you know, heck, I'd, I'd rather hear your prediction because I got none for who's winning that race. Uh, if I had to make a bet today, I would say Adam Schiff, but that, you know, it's a long way away. Before we wrap up, um, John, I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners, I mean, everyone knows about Los Angeles Magazine, but could you talk a little bit about Crosstown LA? Absolutely. I'm the managing editor of Crosstown, which is a data-driven website uh, run out of USC. And uh, we use publicly available data um, you know, to tell really interesting stories about what's going on in Los Angeles. Uh, this can be looking at uh, you know, police data. It can be looking at public service data. Um, it could be looking at you know, various other streams. Uh, you know, for instance, one of the stories that's coming up now, and it sounds a little grim, but the city of Los Angeles actually has has public information on dead animal removal. Um, hmm. You know, if you know, uh, it could be your, you know, your beloved pet that passes away. It could be, uh, you know, kittens or puppies that, uh, you know, are feral and are, you know, struck by speeding vehicles. Uh, if you call the MyLA three one one system or use the website, they will come, you know, pick it up. And we look at this data. We look at other things such as, you know, water waste. Um, we've done stories there on 
really the you know shoplifting and pointing out not just when numbers are rising, but we can tell you on these stories specifically where incidents are happening. Mm. Um, the fact that shop you know the top neighborhood for shoplifting is downtown, which you probably expect, but then area number two is Canoga Park. Um, why? Because there's a big mall out in Canoga Park and there's a mm. lot of shoplifters out there. So we really try to use a lot of uh, public data. So, you know, uh, please, if your listeners can, definitely go check out Crosstown. There's even a newsletter you can sign up for um, where we will actually get you information. We create 110 different newsletters each week. So whether you live in Canoga Park, downtown, Highland Park, uh, wherever else, uh, we can get community-specific information for you. The newsletter's free. So thank you for asking about that. And how do people do that? How do they find out where to sign up? Well, for the best thing to do will be to go to xtown.la. That is the website. And then there is a uh, bar at the top where you can easily, uh, you know, um, you know, sign up. It takes all about four and a half seconds. Uh, and then you can get the newsletter for your specific neighborhood. John, thank you. Uh, we said this privately, but we're going to say it publicly. You're the best political writer in the city of L.A. Thank you for joining us. Chris, Josh, I love what you guys do. I really appreciate uh, you having me and I am already looking forward to the next one. Thank you.